Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On today's review-only episode of the show, I'll be joined by New Haven Independent staff writer Alan Appel for a review of A United Kingdom, Ama Asante's new based-on-a-true-story movie about an interracial relationship between an African prince and an English clerk in the 1950s that had surprisingly profound international political consequences, coming at a time of the collapse of the British Empire, the rise of African national independence movements, and the paranoid simmer of the Cold War. Uh, but before we jump in, Alan, it's great to have you back. I feel like we haven't had you on in a couple of weeks. Were you away on vacation or elsewhere Hi, Tom. in the world? Yeah, we were in... We were in Florida, where the only movie I saw for 10 days was uh, Nocturnal Animals. Ah. Do you want to give us a, a very quick, did you like it or didn't you like it? I, I think we spoke about that on the show. I, I think Lucy and I reviewed it. Did you? This the, is there the was, Tom Ford, Jake Gyllenhaal movie that is kind of crime stories nested within very beautifully shot crime stories. Right. Highly designed, highly produced. And, uh, and uh, Tony Lane in The New Yorker, I think, got it absolutely right when he said... Um, there's less there than meets the eye. <laughs> you know, Tom Ford is, you know, I think that actually there may be some relevance to that uh, that comment, whether it's true or not, in its application to a United Kingdom. But we're, we're also going to be talking today about a beautifully shot and composed movie, maybe Correct. almost to its detriment. But this is a, uh, you know, much like Tom Ford, who's a professional fashion photographer, Ama Asante knows how to present people and characters and scenes and images in just a pretty breathtaking fashion. Right. I, I think when you go to the movies, as opposed to picking up a, a novel, you, you expect to have visual pleasure. Mm-hmm. And the first responsibility of the movie is to deliver it, which which certainly is done in Nocturnal Animals and as as we'll discuss in uh, United Kingdom. But but then after you've checked off the pleasure, uh, you, really, you really need to be swept along in narrative as well. Well, let's see. Let me give a, a brief background for people who haven't seen the movie yet, and then we'll jump into our conversation. Uh, a United Kingdom, uh, in the new movie by Ama Asante, stars David Oyelowo, probably best known for playing Martin Luther King Jr. in Ava DuVernay's Selma from a few years ago, plays a, a different king here, Seretse Kama, an heir to the royal line of the Bamangwato tribe in the British protectorate of Bechuanaland, now called Botswana, a sparsely populated landlocked country just north of South Africa. So while studying law, kind of finishing his royal education in London as preparation for his imminent succession to the throne back home, Kama meets and falls in love with Ruth Williams, played by Rosamund Pike, a middle-class white English woman with a missionary sister, a racist father, and a penchant for jazz. Uh, Kama and Williams, hopelessly in love, marry and decide to return to Bechuanaland together as the new royal couple of Kama's tribe. Unfortunately for them, their union is met with pretty severe disapproval by every party imaginable. William's parents reject her for marrying a black man. Kama's powerful uncle castigates him for the disloyalty of marrying a white woman and the shame of bringing her home to help lead the country. And the British government, afraid of alienating the government of adjacent South Africa, which has recently adopted legalized segregation through apartheid, uh, does everything in its power to remove this interracial couple from from that racist regime's proximity. Uh, so, Alan, to start our conversation, Lucy and I went to uh, this conversation at Mitchell Library a few nights ago uh, between um, 
a representative from Long Wharf Theater and the director of the upcoming play, Smart People, at Long Wharf. And uh, Long Wharf has this long-standing collaboration with the public library where they have lectures and they give out tickets to plays and they're trying to promote the shows in the community as much no, as possible. That's a great program. I'm not sure what Smart People is yet. But it's, so, so the director's name is uh, Desdemona Chang. And the play, uh, from what I gathered, is about uh, the kind of implicit racial biases that we bring to kind of almost every interaction that we have in the 21st century. This was written during the Obama era era as a kind of counter to the notion that we have moved past race. And mm. so it looked less at the kind of Trump era explicit racism and kind of reversion back to almost a mid-century uh, terrorism of ethnic minorities mm. and and dwelt more upon, you know, how what are the prejudices that we bring that are kind of baked into our histories and bones that we still have to kind of overcome in the 21st century. But the, the reason I'm bringing this up now is that as a director, Desdemona Chang said that she, when she first communicates you know, what she wants uh, to achieve with a play to actors, to set designers, to everyone else on the crew putting it on, she challenges herself to come up with one sentence that describes the play. Not just the plot, but a sentence that kind of encapsulates its essence. And an example, she said, uh, smart people was about the dissonance between the head and the heart. She said Hamlet for her was about uh, a, a desire to restore order. Uh, and so I thought, you know, I've been thinking about this as a way of approaching understanding works of art and maybe as a fun way to start talking about it. And so what is the, what is the sentence that encapsulates a united kingdom for me? And this is, this is the sentence I've got for you. And I just wonder if, if you think it's, it's accurate. And then I also want to hear your, your initial take on the movie. But when I think about a united kingdom, I think at its essence, uh, it's saying the fights for personal and national political self-determination are one and the same. And enemies of kind of national sovereignty are the same enemies of personal freedom and of social and cultural freedom. So I got a, be I got it, a better one. Lay it on me. Um, and also tell me what you what you think of the movie. Is that is that accurate? Is it tying together personal and political? Like, is that what this movie's getting at? And then what do you think of the United Kingdom? Yeah, well, not a better one, but I think what, uh, maybe it's just the same thing in, in simpler words. It's sort of, uh, I would say... Um, uh, well, if you could speak right into the mic. Oh, sure. yeah. I would say uh, love conquers all, but it takes a lot of politics. Um, and, you know, that's, I, I think that sort of summarizes the, the, the film, but um, I'm not sure it's so successful at, at uh, uh, I mean, the challenge of the film then is to take the personal story of these two people, uh, interracial marriage, and uh, tell that story in the in the in the context of uh, the fight against uh, basically apartheid in Africa at 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 the beginning of the the moment when South Africa post war World War Two is is flexing its apartheid muscles. I mean that's the, the that's the challenge of the film, and uh, I you know I, I thought actually that uh, our learning about this episode of what happened to the, for the creation of Botswana. Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, in, in relation to South Africa, um, that political story was more gripping in many ways than the personal love story. That 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 to me was the problem with the film. 
So that's the challenge of a lot of based on a true story movies. And I, right. I know that this is a complaint that Lucy brings up often when she's unsatisfied with that type of adaptation, which is, I wish I had just watched a documentary about it, or I wish I had had the information, you know, the nonfiction information delivered to me in maybe a more compelling format than this, you know, fictionalized adaptation. Not that right. they're, you know, right. I, I don't think they're playing too hard and loose with the facts. I think there are a number of, there's a very important discovery of natural resources that comes towards the end of the movie. Right. And I no, think I, that happened, you know, a good decade after the time. But No, but, she, but she's right in the sense that your experience begins with, uh, w- w- after the credits or at the, right, at the, the very first thing you see is based on a true story or inspired by a true story. And then you see this film which takes obvious, which gets, gives you license to take fictional um, departures, and then the way it, what it, the way it ends usually is you get to see um, documentary photographs of the real people on whom the actors are based and on whom uh, based on which they were cast, and then you your mind, which is a delightful gimmick that is, lots of movies employ. I mean, we brought this up with right, what, totally. the Clint Eastwood movie, right, with uh, Sully at the end of Sully. They showed uh, right, and we did it with Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. Right? I mean, it's yeah, you know, it's um, it's a whole other discussion about you know, uh, is the movie an alternative reality or an alternative fact, um, and w- what is it that's re- sort of required to to remain true at the heart of something, um, even while it makes its departures. And, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know anything about the, the creation of Botswana land. The pleasures of the movie for me was to learn this story that it even existed. It was wonderful. So I think that a movie, you know, this is a, this is a romance I and mean, this, the director, Ama Asante is a Ghanaian British female filmmaker uh, and I list, I've listened to a few interviews with her, and she has really come out as a full-force romantic. I mean, she loves telling romantic stories, but in the vein of, you know, 19th century, 18th century British kind of period pieces. I mean, she looks to kind of Jane Austen and also the Merchant Ivory movies, The Room with a View, Remains of the Day, those early 90s kind of uh, British period pieces as right. her models for what she looks to accomplish with her art. And of course, for both her and David Oyelowo, who is a Nigerian British actor, he is someone who was born in Britain, but his family is from Nigeria. I mean, both of these artists grew up watching these, you know, the, this is kind of the crown jewel of the British film industry in the late 20th century, these period pieces. Right. And they never saw anyone who looked like them in them and so you kind of grow up thinking that there simply aren't black people in 18th century 19th century britain and i think what so attracted them to this story is that it tells you know the romance and the um the kind of character development or a romance that requires development of both the male and female characters that involves an african prince i think just as a starting point that was something that really appealed to them but this movie that hinges on a romance just never really understood why they were that just didn't right. seem to be besides loving jazz and dancing together it was like why yeah no you put your just finger on it. Believe I mean, it i mean she's she's put david ilo in uh in the most beautifully pressed shirts oh those and trousers and the trilby. I, I mean no matter what the guy is doing he looks like he just uh, stepped out of the shower and, and just just got dressed uh, putting on his his clothing from savile row or wherever where, wherever but, but which is not a minor accomplishment. I mean, I think it's well, a, it's a it's it beautiful takes a to visual, look at. you know, yeah, no, a, no. A, a keen eye, just like with nocturnal animals. I mean, all those people that that art world, that contemporary LA art world that he's kind of lampooning in nocturnal animals. All those people are dressed, you know, 
meticulously. Oh, they're all they're all in black. They 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 live in kitchens where there isn't a crumb on a counter. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was. Well, we're going to talk about nocturnal animals, but but the attention to a visual detail is in color, uh, uh, especially the contrast between the kind of hard granite grays of London and the blazing sun, beautiful, beautiful, bright uh, lights of, uh, of of Central Africa. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one of the uh, the private pleasures for me was that I remember having a stamp collection, which. I'll never forgive my mother, may she rest in peace, for throwing out. But I, in the, my stamp collection, I had stamps from Bouchwana Land or whatever it was called. I think it was spelled B-E-A or B-E-A-U-C-H. B-E-C-H-U-A-N-A, Bechuana, and then land. So right. this is contemporary Botswana, but when it was under the British Empire, it was called Bechuana Land. I had all those stamps, you know, and I never knew until I saw this movie that those stamps uh, it, it came from what eventually became you know, Botswana. Um but to get back to the to to the question that you you asked, yes, the, the 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 problem here is that in the first twenty minutes of this film, we're asked to believe we the filmmaker wants to persuade us that as uh, uh, radically different as the worlds that these two people come from, um, as you know, per your description, that it literally is love at first sight. I mean, Rosamund Pike walks into a jazz club after we've learned, you know her sister's a missionary, her dad's a racist. And after we've learned who, who, uh, David, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, Soretze, comma, who's the, the, uh, the prince in waiting or the regent or whatever you call it. Um, they look at each other across there. They exchange a couple of looks and we're, we're asked to believe that there's some chemistry going on here that overcomes all these vast worlds of difference. And if you don't buy into that, which alas, I didn't buy into, and in fact, um, I tried to figure out what my problem with the movie was until the very end. But I realized is I just, um, I just don't see the chem. Now maybe it's the acting, uh, maybe it's just insufficient time um, spent in uh, given to them, and they didn't have enough dialogue maybe to discuss what there was between them, but. It, it, this love at first sight is a no sale for me, and that's the real problem. Well, I think one of the challenges that the movie may not necessarily overcome is that most of the story involves the characters separated. I mean, that is where the drama comes, and that the British Empire kind of lures uh, Sarete Kama back to London to petition for his right to rule his country. And for a good, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes in the latter half of the movie, uh, the couple is is separate. And of course, our you know our focus is supposed to be on how you know Ruth Williams, played by Rosamund Pike, the white English woman who is now you know the heir apparent queen of uh, Bechuana Land, uh, has to kind of earn the trust of the people that she's around. So there, you know, there are various again very well composed scenes of her you know giving birth and then rocking her kid in a circle with all of the other you know um, Botswana women who are also rocking their kids to to kind of go to each store and to I one of the very few small moments that I absolutely loved is when we see. Um, Ruth Williams practicing her royal wave, kind of imitating like the Queen of England, but I guess how she transposes it to Botswana. And then we see her actually put that into practice when she goes to a store to buy some, you know, flower and she can barely lift her arm. She's but, so, she's right. so nervous. That, uh, those I, details I thought communicated so much. Maybe they, they weren't they enough. They did. And there, and there was actually a potential for so much more there because, I mean, this is like every little English girl's dream to become a queen, right? And she, this you know, sort of like a cut above an English shop girl, you know, in a, in a kind of 19th century um, manner. I mean, here she is becoming a queen, but what is she queen of? She's queen of a place that 
uh, basically has 19 cars, 121,000 people, we learn, in the space of, of uh, in, in, a, in a country the size of France. So it's, it's her little kingdom, and you, she, she spends the entire movie uh, with eyes wide open in a state of kind of radical amazement. Um, and I think, um, I, 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 I think she's, is she in shock? Is, uh, I mean, I don't sense the arc of her adjustment to this new status. She, cause she doesn't, um, she, she doesn't, uh, uh, take being, she doesn't act queenly. She just wants them to like her and she has to overcome the racial divide. And you, and, and you're right to point out that these characters, uh, after they meet and fall in love with a, with, with a love that, that, that we're, we're asked to believe binds them through all the opposition from all the politicians. Um, what, what we really see is we see, at least in her case, her coming into her character, we see that as her doing it separate from him. You're, these moments when she has to overcome the, the racial comments of the other white women who are the wives of the local British ad, administrators, those to me were among the most powerful when, when, they, when, when, when um, Kama's sister um, is insulted by the way the two white women uh, um, have addressed her as if she was somehow servile. She reminds them she is a royal daughter. You know, I think that one of the and so maybe the maybe the problem is that with you know our two main characters separated for so much without adequate development of some of those secondary characters, the conflict never really rises to a point of kind of real stakes felt by the audience because the two people that we feel the stakes between aren't are apart. But I I want to I mean one thing I so appreciate about the perspective of Asante and Oyelowo here is that when we're talking about Ruth Williams' adjustment to being the queen of Bechuana Land, it's never an adjustment. At least I didn't get this sense. It's never an adjustment of how am I a kind of properly brought up British woman going to adapt to this relatively barren, you know, desert landscape in South in uh, Southern Africa. It's, it's always, it's, it's never, you know, her perception that this country is somehow beneath her. It's always, it's almost the exact opposite in that she sees the whites only signs on the bathroom walls and she sees the explicit segregation uh, and uh, racial kind of subordination that the British Empire has imposed here, and she feels like she has to, you know, she has to prove her worth to these people. This is, and when we talk about, you know, the couple coming from two very different backgrounds, it's not, you know, the what you would typically expect if you heard about a Hollywood movie about an African, uh, you know, man and an English woman coming together. She is actually the social inferior here, right? She has to kind of live up to the pretensions required of being a queen. And I think that that is a truly remarkable reversal for, you know, most, you know, interracial romances that we, that we hear, especially, you know, a movie that is such explicitly a, a romance, you know, in, in that genre, uh, to have the, the white woman kind of living up to the African prince, as opposed to the African prince having to kind of, un, you know, understand the, the ways of, you know, the, "Quote unquote, like civilized British Empire," but I want that's um, I want to talk about this movie as an interracial romance movie because your favorite movie of last year was Loving, exactly, um, exactly. Loving by Jeff Nichols about the landmark, you know, the couple at the center of the landmark Supreme Court case in Virginia that kind of got rid of the anti-miscegenation laws in this country. And last week, I had Mercy Quay and Preston Wilson on, and we were talking about Get Out, which is Jordan Peele's new kind of horror satire about an interracial couple where the black man from the city goes to meet his, you know, uh, his girlfriend's parents 
in the suburbs. And it's it's a horror movie. I mean, it's a straight-out horror movie where it's kind of a, a riff on um, the Stepford Wives where you go out to this you know, supposedly idyllic area and you realize that uh, they are animated by much more than just, you know, a, a modest interest in black people. It's actually about kind of mind control and violence. But maybe thinking about, I mean, we have three very prominent movies recently about interracial roman- romances between uh, black people and, and white people. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how, how does this compare to loving? Yeah, you? no, I, I, in my, in, in my um, little uh, book of notes here, I said, how come loving really worked for me and this did not? And I'm not sure I have an answer to that, although there was no question in my mind at all that these two people um, were were just they were they were drawn to each other profoundly. The uh, Ruth Nega and uh, Joel Edgerton. They, it was just wonderful. And I, I think one of the reasons why it somehow worked is that they were so silent for so much of the time. This is a very talky movie. Um, uh, and the other difference, of course, is that. Uh, the couple in loving were ordinary people, more or less from the same um, social world, except white and black, which makes a difference. But but economic class wise, they were the same. And as a matter of fact, the uh, the Joe, the Richard Loving's mother was a midwife who I think delivered babies with uh, the black community there. So they had a lot in common. So there 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 was a sort of much less to have to except um now the whole idea that uh a king marries down and and to accept a commoner of course was one one of the kind of outsider tropes if you will of the decades before i forget it uh who who was the english king who um who who married an american woman just 10 or 15 years before so in many cases this is a a kind of version of that um so it's not as if it comes out of left field no, I think I think the uh, maybe the expectation when you're looking at a royal story is different, um, uh, and the other thing is there is such a thing as chemistry between actors, and I thought uh, and I think that may be one of the issues here. I just it it just you know even 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 uh, even um, you know a third of the way through the movie when all the 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 political opposition to this marriage is is. Um, is pushing against them and it, it, um, it both drives them together, needing each other as well as makes them question why they've done this to themselves. He's embracing her at some point. They're sitting on some window, uh, at a hotel where, where, um, I guess they're in, they're in route to Botswana land and he's, he's, he's embracing her and he makes some comment about, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see th- this through together. Uh, and she she looks up at him and you know gives him a kind of silent uh, eyes of support, and and he says to her something to the effect that and you thought the only reason I married you was for sex or for your body or something. And then like she shows that. her knee, right? She pulls up she, her skirt just a little bit. She daintily shows her knee. That was so weird. Um, and also, but we should. I mean, that's actually one of the scenes that sticks out most in my mind when I think back on the movie. And it's not necessarily because of what the characters are saying or what's ha- where it falls in the context of the story but because of how it looks. I mean, that's happening in front of this just beautiful, explosive orange, like sunset in Bechuana land. That's like almost, it's, you're right. It's so kind of like the, remember the juxtaposition of the like very uh, severe 
um, Spanish and Portuguese cathedrals in silence, that Martin Scorsese movie, and then we're thrust into like the lush nature of rural Japan. Here we have the pretty severe, you know, London Parliament, and then we have this just. I don't think it's a like fetishizing the naturalism of Africa in the way that silence was playing with that fetishism of of Japanese kind of connection to the land. But here, I mean, undoubtedly, you know, it's inescapable that the the colors and like the hues and the just visual, it's just like explosiveness of the Bechuana landscape um, affects every single scene there right. it's almost the it's the key thing that you remember almost to the well, story that's detriment. right and, and and you you could make a case for her saying without saying it but saying it through the through those means that the visual means that you just referenced that that uh, the darks and the grays of london stand for racism and you know the world of her father and you know love and freedom uh is the african uh, sunset and the and the savanna, but here's 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 the thing that occurred to me finally after thinking about what my problem with the movie is is and that is, uh, I think I asked myself the question when they fell in love, uh, and you got and you got a sense of the uh, opposition that was mounting against them, uh, you know that South Africa would find it intolerable that a neighboring uh, land would have an interracial couple as their royal couple and they would not accept it. When you got a, got a sense of that, it, uh, I, I think I asked myself again, only becoming aware of it at the movie's end when I said, why wasn't I enjoying this movie? The question was, might the attraction have been not just love at first sight, which the director wants us to believe, but would he in fact, um, Maybe he wasn't even conscious of it. Uh, and why didn't the movie discuss the possibility that he deliberately chose a white woman in order to exemplify the post-racial uh, world that he wanted to establish in Botswana, a world where it's not white and, uh, and black, but, but free people? And why, I, why didn't they yeah. discuss it? Nobody discusses no, it. No, that's not true. I think that there are debates between... We haven't mentioned the uncle character at all. There's a... the the Saretse is an orphan of sorts. I, I think his, his his biological parents died relatively young, but he was raised by his uncle, who is the current kind of king or leader of this tribe, and he's going to inherit his role. And again, the uncle, you know, he has a pretty important role in the first third, and then he kind of disappears for almost the rest of the movie. But his main contention is that you know he's just completely baffled by uh, Saretse's choice of a white woman to lead you know to help him lead this country and and he i believe he accuses him at one point of um looking outside of his tribe looking outside of you know of dark darker skinned people um because of some uh uh some like latent psychological concern of you know like you why can't you find your proper mate here among this group this group that reveres you that that's looking to you for guidance. Why do you have to go to our kind of imperial overlords? And of course, Sorete is making the exact opposite argument and that he's saying, you, uncle, by agreeing to have this kind of nominally powerful position in a larger, you know, governmental structure that ensures your subordination and that you are just kind of a, a peon to the actual rulers of Bechuana land. You are the ones playing into the imperial fold. But that I mean, that debate wasn't at the center of the movie, but I found it a really interesting one when it did come up. But I don't think he, he they drilled down on it and and uh, and, and use it in 
in, in ways they can. I mean, uh, Kama just insists that I love my wife. Yeah. I just love my wife. He never says, I love my wife. And, you know, this helps us. Uh, this, you know, or, or he, he, it's, it's such a, it, it's like the elephant in the room of the movie that is, is ignored too much. Well, so actually, let me first say that you're listening to Deep Focus on WNHHLP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm talking with New Haven Independent, New Haven Independent reporter, Alan Appel, Independent reporter, <laughs> Alan Appel, about a United Kingdom. Uh, this, the third movie uh, in really as many months about very prominent interracial relationships. Uh, and Alan, it's so funny that you bring up the line, I love my wife, because do you remember... I mean, I'm thinking about the differences between Loving and the United Kingdom. And one of, you know, Loving has been universally praised, I think, by critics like us as the height of understatement, right? These are characters who kind of because of their socioeconomic environment and just their natural personal temperament, they do not say a lot of things. But I know they, what you're going to say. We've been doing this. I know what you're going to quote. The one, but the one, <laughs> like the big speech of Loving, right, in, in the climax of the week is because we, you know, we praise loving for not being a courtroom drama, right? It is about the actual life lived and the dignities and indignities of love versus a law that proclaims that these two people cannot love one another. The big speech that we get is Joel Edgerton turning to the, you know, the lawyer who's about to argue before the Supreme Court and says, "Tell those justices I love my wife," and what, that's it. What now, shall I tell the Supreme Court? <laughs> tell them I love my wife, and he barely looks at them. Right, but here we have. I mean, this is a uh, not just. You know, not an understated movie. This is like a grandiloquent movie. I and mean, we see a number of speeches that David Oyelowo gives to the camera to these um, democratic gatherings of his tribe in Bechuana land in which he proclaims, you know, quite explicitly. And I think, you know, well, and I agree with him, but I think that this movie's tack is not one of understatement and subtlety, but putting its, you know, its themes and arguments right in the speeches of its character, which makes sense because this is, I mean, Richard Loving is not a politician. He does not have to defend himself and create himself with the words and his presentation to other people. No. Here, Soretze, I mean, one of the rules as a politician is that you present to people all the time. You kind of have to argue your case. And we hear him argue for not adopting the apartheid of South Africa. And I think he does say, like, don't bring in this type of racial segregation in your determination of whether my wife is an adequate partner or not. And then he says, I mean, at the end... Uh, his argument is that this is not just a win for me and my wife. This is a win for democracy and for right. national sovereignty no, in he, Africa. Right. Th that's all correct. And it's a, it is a much more expositional movie. I think that's another one of the dangerous yeah. lines that it walks. Yeah, uh, you know, you don't want to hear a whole lot of speeches. You get the point. Uh, and the point's been made in several speeches in private as well as in public. But the other thing is one of the rules of, uh, of, of movies is you need to identify with these characters. And in the case of the Lovings, we, we all, it, it's sort of wonderful that people can identify with humble people, modest people, people of few words who just want to be kind of left alone to enjoy their lives. And with, a, uh, you know, it's a one, they're, they're acting individually and their chemistry is a wonderful achievement of uh, uh, expressing sincerity. It just every moment is a sincere moment. The problem here is is that um, is is that it's missing the sense of sincerity, uh, and, and it's not. I think because they have to make speeches because he's a king. Um, for for example, that uh, now the the movies the name and the actor is going to escape me. Uh, the king's speech. Now th there we're really drawn to um, the king who has a 
um, a speech stutter, Im- right? imp- impediment, a stutter, and he has to overcome it in order to address his people at a time of danger. So uh, maybe the Ayaloo character is just, he's just like too perfect and too kingly, which is why if you had to choose one or the other that you'd like to spend time with, I mean, the scenes with the Rose, with, with the Rosamund Pike, Ruth Williams character, much better because as you pointed out, she, she, she is nervous by getting out of the car and going shopping. Uh, those are touching moments. But but uh, the the future king of Botswana is he's kingly at every moment of his life when he gets attacked by racist uh, racist hooligans in London he's perfect he's perfect in the boxing ring I mean he doesn't have a flaw and it makes it hard to warm up to a person like that I I don't want to end our conversation before we talk a bit more about the historical context that this movie is in and also what it reveals about really the I mean. I was so fascinated the relationship between uh, the kind of waning British Empire and South Africa and everything. This is again on the this is the kind of elephant in the room for the whole movie that maybe isn't explored thoroughly enough. But the reason why the British, you know, the representatives in the British Empire have convinced themselves it's necessary to dissolve this relationship is because they're afraid that South Africa, which is explicitly racist regime, is going to leave the Commonwealth and somehow be more welcoming to the Soviet Union. And this is the early 1950s and, and, and fear of, you know, Cold War incursions into Africa. Right. And the backstory there is, and it's mentioned a few times, is actually, and it turns out to be the, um, the pivot of the movie, is that South Africa has uranium and, uh, and, and gold and other right. things, but, but especially the uranium... Uh, as the uh, atomic age progresses. And of course, what happens in the film is uh, 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 Kama um, uh, is smart enough to see that um, his own country has those resources if he could just get a hold of them and keep them right. from the corporation. And we should remember this is not only you know the beginning or the height of the Cold War, beginning and the kind of early height of the Cold War, but also this is right after World War II. So Britain much like the rest of Western Europe, was kind of completely destroyed and, you know, quite in debt to the United States and, and looking for any kind of economic props that they could find. And, right. and they, they thought they had in South Africa one of those gold reserves that would right. somehow help stabilize the British Empire right. in this time after war. Right. But I find it so interesting that we never, you know, we're never taken to South Africa. We, you know, their characters talking about it all the time, but... And I have no doubt that the South African regime would, in fact, have responded, you know, in a horrifying fashion if the British Empire supported this relationship. But we always see the Brits acting out of a fear of what the South African regime would respond as. It's never a direct, this is what we need to do because, you know, we can't afford to lose this for this various political and economic calculation. It gets down to these horrible compromises with racist and almost like fascist regimes that the U.S. and the England made throughout the entire Cold War. I mean, think about all of the kind of leftist governments that we deposed in South Africa and propped up with these horrible, you know, right-wing regimes because of our fear of communism, uh, you know, being the defining political characteristic of the era. I, I think it's I just found that a fascinating topic to have on the outskirts of the story that, yes, you know, yes. to have the the compromises that the U.S. and the U.K. made during the Cold War uh, being the chief impediment of of this relationship. And, he, and even one of the great heroes of World War II, Winston Churchill, gets a gets a black eye because mm-hmm. uh, there, there is a very moving sequence where um, 
politically, uh, 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 Ayeloo and his wife are separated, um, not being allowed back. And then we have the intervening British election between, I guess, Churchill's uh, Conservative Party and the Labour Party. And Churchill campaigns on the theme that the husband and wife, the king and, and, and his, um, uh, his wife must be reunited. And everybody loves Churchill and they're all, they're all listening to see if Churchill will win. And, uh, and, and there's some old-fashioned movie sequences here where you see the, the front pages of newspapers moving by and the pages are flipping and time is passing. And all that, all that uh, uh, political context is being conveyed in that, I love it, that wonderful 1930s style that, uh, that, that she has embraced. Um, it, it's full of kind of quotations of movies that, that, uh, that she's paying a kind of homage to. But everybody is sitting around the radio. Lo and behold, Churchill wins. And then he decides, again, as you point out, for political reasons, that they cannot be reunited. So it's the 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 nasty post-war political world comes crashing down on this couple even then. I I I just think that's a really interesting counterpoint to loving where the the racism in this movie I wonder if it's almost a, a genre consequence as well in a romance the racism it's it's malevolent it's malevolent but it's almost it's like primarily strategic and these people are buffoonish and their buffoonery has very serious negative consequences for our characters but there's something about the racism as portrayed in loving that seemed to get at something even more insidious in the american character it was almost yes. like the do you remember the just the sheriff character Terrible. in loving who looks with a it's he it's, doesn't even look with just straight up hatred. It's this, you know, this conviction that black people are just genetically inferior to him, and he needs to do everything he can to preserve this separation. No, it's a, it, of you, people. He, he communicates a physical, visceral yes, racism, mm-hmm. a kind of biological disgust. Yeah. The, now, maybe that's the American version. Uh, maybe because there was so much um, interracial uh, um, intercourse. And a kind of uh, weird guilt that is compensated for by this kind of um, pronounced hatred. Whereas the British officials, they they're snooty and they look down their nose. It's 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 distasteful um, because their whole experience of other races is you know through this kind of genteel uh, imperialistic education. There's a whole there's more of a of um, a remove from it somehow. It's it but but it. But it makes it, um, uh, it, it it makes them seem more buffoon-like and rigid. In fact, all the scenes with the characters who uh, who, who don't want to say in, in uh, who don't want to say what's really on their mind about race. I mean, they, they're pretty stiff. You know, I think it's I think the different and one of the differences I've located for myself is that watching a movie like a United Kingdom, I see the overcoming of racism as an inevitable. Uh, consequence when you have people of like courage and moral fortitude and honesty. I mean, when you have people like Sorete Kama and Ruth Williams leading the countries of the world, inevitably these, you know, systems of injustice will crumble. And even though love, and that's kind of like, you know, Martin Luther King's, you know, famous quote, the, uh, Moral arc arc of the universe bends towards justice. And I think that there's even the loving ends up kind of in a similar territory. I feel like there's nothing inevitable about the trajectory of of loving, which is a a sad and depressing thing to think about. But I I feel like there's almost more 
I, even though there's this Supreme Court case, you know, that rules in their favor, we know that's not the end to racism in uh, in the United States. Well, no, I I think it's it's really it is instructive to talk about these 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 kind of movies that are exploring whether the post racial is even a possibility at the current time, and and if it is, does it does does it happen because people just discover it's just better to listen to the better angels of your nature or what you could make the case with that one of the suggestions or moral lessons of United Kingdom is that none of this would have happened unless the, uh, the gold and the minerals were discovered. I mean, maybe it's just economics that have to be um, at play to, uh, to accelerate uh, the acceptance. And part of the idealism, I think, romance as a genre is that there's really no discussion of the you know, uh, the consequences of having an economy that relies upon diamond mining. I mean, we all know that that is not like the, the most moral diamonds of are industry. Not, are, diamonds it's, are not forever. The the last question I want to ask of you, Alan, is kind of a strange one. And so I want you to put your, um, maybe take off your, your movie reviewer hat a little bit and put on your art reviewer hat. Because you, as a writer for The Independent, have written a lot about different uh, galleries and exhibitions around town at the various museums and galleries for years. And one of the shows that I uh, really responded to most in the last you know, five years at the Yale Center for British Art was a show that they had on, I forget the name of it, but it was on like British portraiture and slavery. Do you remember that, where you had all of these 18th century British portraits of people like Elihu Yale and all of these other, you know, beneficiaries of the transatlantic... Oh, portraits of empire. Portraits of empire. And then, but all of the images, you know, had these stately, you know, bewigged British, uh, you know, merchants. And then at their sides... There were slaves. There's their boys often with manacles around their necks. And, and these are figures who, you know, I think that the viewer, I was looking at the article before I came over your review of it. And the, the woman who you open with didn't even notice that character the first time she looked at the painting. And I think that's, that's kind of the intention. Oh, the like you're not supposed to look at the black person enough to recognize his humanity. You're just, he's kind of a prop, you know, a support for this person. And so my question for you is, I mean, this, I think that, Ama Asante, through this movie and through Bell from a few years ago, is kind of interested in what that exhibition at the YCBA was also getting at. It was kind of relocating, you know, the black experience in our understanding of British history. Does this movie seem like it kind of, like if this were an art exhibition, do you think it would fit at something like the Yale Center for British Art? Could you see this like as an instructive uh, kind of, counter programming to a history of kind of overlooking black people in British art or is that is that a too difficult to transpose no, I think those that's forms? A, I think that's a good question I, I certainly uh, I think it, the, this movie could make it into one, one of their uh, film series as part of public programming uh, uh, I, I think it belonged it could have belonged in public programming for portraits of empire after all it this is about um how Britain manages their their waning empire when when just just uh, by virtue of their being depleted by World War II and um, just general trends in geopolitics, they have to cut loose the empire. And um, and though slavery is never mentioned, I feel like it's always you know it's always at the tip of people's tongues when you are talking about the history of. The British Empire and Africa, uh, right? And, and in fact, what that brings to mind one for me of the many, many speeches that these characters make. One of the most moving 
is when the Ruth Williams character is is she's been alone in Botswana while her husband is in England and she's about to give up but she is encouraged encouraged by uh, uh by the king's sister to stand up and to fight and to make this happen so she makes a film which in which she she uh addresses the british public and she says she makes the case not just that she should be reunited with her husband but that this country deserves its independence deserves the um the king that it wants because 10,000 of its men served in your military. And let's not take that kind of stuff for granted. Now, I, uh, you know, the, the phrase that I sort, of, um, I sort of resent, but I better stop resenting it, that it seems to be uh, the, the way the next phase of kind of post-racialism is being talked about is uh, acknowledging white privilege. And, uh, you know, th- this... This movie, I think, really is a, is a step in the uh, in the uh, uh, you know direction of accepting you know the power of of of, uh, of that idea that's been around for so long. Well, a United Kingdom is playing at probably a theater near you and in downtown New Haven included. So you know, even though this isn't a movie that I think more like generically than anything else, I may not have responded to as much as others. I think it's it's worth checking out. It's certainly a remarkable story and a remarkable achievement for you know, a British female director of color and a, a British, you know, actor of color with Nigerian roots uh, to have put on such a, you know, a, a splendid and maybe not riveting telling of the story, but certainly an important one to think about. So, yeah, if you check it out, let, let us know what you think. Uh, reach out at deepfocusradio.com and we'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on the movie. Alan, we, we did it. We talked for 40 minutes or 45 minutes about a United Kingdom. Well, it's a great, you know, it's, it's a great chapter in history that most yeah. people don't know about. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Thanks. So we will be back with you next week and you can find a complete archive of deep focus shows at www.deepfocusradio.com. Coming up next is Elise's culture cocktail. <laughs>